welcome to Trek in the Time of Corona. In his 1972 book, The World of Star Trek, David Gerald wrote that science fiction at its best was the postulation of an alternate reality with which to comment on this one. On this podcast, a fan of Trek and a fan of everything but Trek come together to search for reflections of this pandemic life by watching and discussing contagious disease-themed episodes from the Star Trek universe. My name is Brian Apple, and I am here with Caroline Harmondero. Today's episode, from Enterprise, Dear Doctor. Original air date, January 23rd, 2002. Dr. Phlox narrates much of this episode by way of a digital correspondence he keeps with a human friend who is serving on the nebula, taking part in the interspecies medical exchange. As Dr. Phlox muses over the peculiar nature of human and human relationships, the Enterprise comes across a pre-warp ship floating in space, holding two beings on the verge of death. The unconscious beings are taken to sickbay, where they are revived and tell Captain Archer, T'Pol, and Phlox that they are Valakians, who were sent off-world in a desperate act to seek a superior species who may be able to help cure a disease that is ravaging their species. After briefly consulting with T'Pol, Archer agrees to go to Valakis and instructs Phlox to search for a cure. On the planet, while visiting one of the many facilities that cares for the sick, it becomes apparent that the scope of the illness is almost insurmountable, and that the Vlachians are not the only humanoid species to have evolved. The other species, the Menk, are immune to the disease and are kept in a state of perpetual dependence on the Vlachians without being provided the resources or means to manage their own freedom. The Vlachians also label the Menk as a kind of lower species, just above animals, who are good for helping with menial tasks, but nothing much else. Phlox is convinced a possible cure can be found in the Menk, and becomes even more convinced when he discovers that the illness is not a communicable virus or bacteria, but rather a result of the Vlachians mutating DNA, which, unchecked, will surely bring about extinction. While visiting a Menk encampment for research, Phlox learns more about the social cultural structures put in place by the Vlachians for the Menk. Phlox determines that while they continue to experience social and political oppression, the Menk are poised to evolve in their intellectual capacity by leaps and bounds, just in time to take advantage of the space being created by the creeping extinction of the Vlachians. This makes his discovery of a cure for the genetic disorder a difficult breakthrough for Phlox. To provide a cure for the Valachians would guarantee the Menk will be kept in a state of perpetual oppression, interfering with the natural course of evolution, and preserve the imbalance of power. Phlox tells Captain Archer of the cure and pleads for the cure to be kept from the Valachians. Captain Archer, suffering as a character in a prequel series without the benefit of the Prime Directive to guide him, ultimately agrees with Phlox and does not reveal the cure before departing. 
Fox ends his recording to his pen pal with a note of how impressed he is with Archer's ability to make the difficult choice. This technically wasn't a, as the episode played out, a contagious disease. Right. Um, but I still thought it counted for, I still thought it was okay to watch and relevant because of the, the feeling of a population experiencing massive death and, and fear from a, a illness that is ram, rampaging through its population. Yeah, definitely. There's so many similarities, even though it was a genetic disorder. Yeah, yeah. Um, what did you, um, it, it's, I have a special place in my heart for Scott Bakula. So it's, it was, it's hard to think objectively about, about anything he does. So please help me through that. Okay. As we, if, I, if I'm being, to. if I'm being too kind to his character based on. I expect any, that you anything. will be. Yeah. 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 Um, um, and uh, I, he also has a special place in my heart because I loved um, Quantum Leap when uh, I was yeah. in high school, I guess. Exactly. That's, that's exactly it. Mm-hmm. Well, meanwhile, the Doctor character, wasn't, didn't he star in a film that was all about like, uh, like a white middle-class guy that kind of like goes postal or something? Um, so... Like, Sadly, there are a lot of movies in our culture. Just with that concept, he's um. It's John Billingsley, is the guy's name, and he has been in quite a few things. But I don't know what movie that would be. Where do you want to Where do you want to start on on the many topics this episode brings up? I I mean, for me. I it, this episode is so weird because it's like the last thing any character says is the one that I agree with. Mm, tell me more what you think of what you mean by that. Well, I mean, in terms of just skipping to the end when um, Archer, who's the captain, Scott Bakula, is discussing with Phlox, who's the doctor what they should do when he's he's found the cure but he said it'll be interfering with with everything that happens um it's it it was just like i agreed with both of their points at the same time and i didn't i didn't know it's the the kind of thing that tv shows come up with you never think you're going to be in that situation and not necessarily i'm not necessarily in that situation in terms of having control right now but we are at a state where we our decisions as a country decide who live and die in in very specific demographics so it's easy to decide in that situation but on the show it just felt like it was more i don't know opaque for me i couldn't i couldn't agree with i mean in the end i think i i agreed with 
what Archer said in terms of evolution doesn't matter anymore because of who we are, because of our brains, because of the decisions we can make. We're already interfering with the natural flow of time. And I do agree with that, but I don't think I agreed with the way he was using it in terms of, oh, maybe I was. I see, I don't know. I don't, I mean, I, I, that's what I mean. I can't, I can't tell what I agreed with and what I didn't. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it did a good job of making both sides of the argument plausible. And I think it's always a good, um, it's always good when, kind of big conservative arguments are given an intelligent chance, you know, in a, in a narrative, you know, that where um, you realize that there are these longstanding beliefs in society are holding on for so long because they're, they do have some logic to them. Um, and there are certain pieces of it that are very seductive and, you can see how someone would fall into the trap of them. But in the end, I thought they were both very, very wrong. Like I thought um, they made the wrong call. And really, um, yeah, I couldn't stand it. I couldn't stand the ending. Right, right. What would have been, so what would have been the right call? Uh, Doctor healing the patients that are asking for his care. If there was a dynamic where the people who were sick I mean, I felt like there was a subtle form of oppression going on, um, but they made it just subtle enough that it, it they turned it into a cultural question. So the oppression that's happening in America, I don't believe is a cultural element. I think it's a power dynamic element. In the show, the two cultures, or, or the, the power dynamic was more explained as culture and so that made it a little more fragile of a thing to really want to just blow up but if there had been a more outwardly oppressive element of it would would your feelings have changed not at all and i do think it was outwardly oppressive i think it was a system of economic oppression that was described um, where they don't have access to fertile land and they're given food and clothes and treated like pets and living in compounds. Um, so I didn't, I thought it was very persuasive that they were the oppressor, but I still didn't think that um, he made the right call as a doctor or that the captain made the right decision following his advice and going against his instinct um, of compassion. And um, he says, you know, Compassion isn't interfering with my judgment. Compassion guides my judgment. And um, I think that in every religious faith in, in the world, compassion is the centerpiece of it. And I don't think there's really a higher a higher value that can trump it. Uh, yes. I know. I just don't like that at all. I mean, it just felt, it just, I, yeah, no, I mean, you're right. I just don't like it. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not a satisfying answer. Like it just feels, because on the other, on the other side of it, because one can be cured by medicine and the other, the cure is not medicine and not scientific, but it's revolution or some sort of systematic overturning of the system 
why aren't they both held in the same balance? Like just as um, the doc, Dr. Flox and, and um, Archer can give them a medical cure, why don't they also then stay and provide a political cure or a social cure for the illness that is not, not necessarily caused by the DNA structure changing or the DNA, um, the imb embedded in the DNA, but caused by the cultural um, um, system? Yeah, I think that um, we're seeing this whole interaction with this planet through a doctor's lens. And I think the doctor's job is really clear and was shirked. Um, mm, which is right. to kind of heal the patients in front of them. And in this new, you know, intergalactic scenario where he has 50 million patients from a different planet, um, it's, you know, a little less clear, but, um, but still, you know, his, his role to me is clear. He, he wouldn't be mediating a political standoff or some of the other things that Star Trek crew might do in other types of episodes yeah well then it's i mean it's interesting to hear you say that right now because right now there's this discomfort it feels like with people in the medical profession whose stances on scientific efforts in terms of how to treat a disease are being turned into political statements and now even the recommendation to wear a mask is being seen as a political statement rather than a medical or a scientific necessity based on very real research and and studies and and very real needs that are being recognized. Yeah. And do, I mean doctors I, I imagine it's very hard for doctors to just be doctors right now. Definitely and those who you know have leadership roles it's got to be so difficult when you you know there's all these lives in your charge but you're being asked to do certain things or carry certain messages that are have more of a political bent. But I think, you know, this whole um, theme from at least three of our episodes now has have around evolution and whether or not to play God, I think is really um, so present right now in U.S. politics because I think there's so this, you know, well over a century of experience in our country with this whole social Darwinism concept. And um, and it seems like this sort of like burrowing animal that pops its head up every every little while. And, um, and we have to be really careful to be back. And I think um, it's coming up a lot during COVID-19, the question of, you know, like Herbert Spencer in the late 1800s around like letting the poor die off because, um, you know, they've made these mistakes and they need to sort of pay mm. for them. And mm -hmm. so if we create these kind of human services institutions, then we're letting a race of people continue that should be allowed to die off. It's, it's hideous, hideous, hideous thinking. And I, and has zero compassion to it. And I think that that's a lot of what we're seeing is part of that old tradition in American public life that, um, you know, letting the, letting the old day die off. Um, and there's a lot of literature lately that, you know, as soon as the numbers started showing that it was really um, people of color and the poor that were being disproportionately affected 
by COVID-19 deaths, um, it suddenly became acceptable right, yeah. to tell people to go back to work or tell, tell businesses to open up. Um, so it seems like a new variation on a very old theme. And I think that that was in this episode too, that in the end, both men decide to let nature take its course. Right. So, and I, I took it from a different perspective because I see, I see what is happening right now to not be nature. Like I, I see that the people who are being most impacted by COVID-19 are the people that we have created a system around making them vulnerable to things like COVID-19. And so it's when, when the doctor was appealing to Darwinism, I was swayed by the argument that Archer was making at the time in terms of the, his, the doctor's duty to the um, patients that we're beyond Darwinism right now. We have the ability to construct the world, and in this case, the galaxy or, or whatever, to construct it as we want it to be. And I think that applies to us in the sense that we are still impacted by nature, but our social constructions are what are actually causing the biggest problems for us right now in terms of the human race, because we've designed things to only meet the needs of a single definition of person. Yeah. Exactly. And and that was the case in the 1800s, too. I mean, this whole argument has always been false. You know, it's always right, been based yeah. on false assumptions of what causes poverty or what causes vulnerability. Yeah, it, yeah. It's this assumption that it's a flaw rather than that it's a social construct. Which is just... Uh, it's been economically, the groundwork has been laid economically for centuries. So then it gets back to, I mean, well, if this disease, if COVID-19 was working a different way and it was impacting people who, who were privileged, certainly our country then would be dealing with it in a different way, like you said. So that's why, I mean, that's why maybe in the episode I was thinking that they did the right thing. I mean, it's not the right thing. I, I know that. I know that. But it, it, it's definitely, it just feels like just looking at it from the hard scientific aspect of it does not address the whole issue of what needs to be addressed. And that's kind of something that's missing for the most part in our conversations, or at least in the national conversation, not your, not your our conversation, but in the national conversation about COVID-19, because we continue to look at it purely as a medical problem with a medical solution when it's much more than that. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah. And I think the, the way they talk about culture is really fascinating because there's so many different iterations of it in this kind of jam-packed into this one episode and sort of how um, how they should or shouldn't interact with other species and other planets and other cultures and languages. And this theme of like treating other species as pets versus, versus as equals and 
assuming certain species are less sophisticated or that they're going to steal from you. There's a lot of sort of replicating kind of racist tropes um, around how different groups judge each other. And I don't, having never watched Star Trek before this, I don't, I don't have a lot of background for some of what they were referencing because they were talking a lot about back when the Vulcans. So yeah, there's there's quite a bit of back. It, it, it's it's one of the foundational. Well, it's not really foundational. I mean, to get into the nuts and bolts of it, it wasn't Gene Roddenberry who came up with this element of it. It was um, actually Gene Kuhn who worked very, very early on in the original show, but wasn't there at the very, very beginning. Um, and one of the, the, the main rules of Starfleet and of the Federation is called the Prime Directive, yeah. which means pre-warp societies cannot be interfered with at all. Now, most of the time, especially in the original series, anytime there's a Prime Directive show, you know they're going to end up interfering with I mean, almost guaranteed to interfere with the the culture that they're talking about. But that's what the rule is supposed to be, that 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 any pre-warp society does not get touched, does not get interfered with. They, they're not given help or they're not given um, a, a, no messing with their internal systems in any way. Um, but according to this timeline, it didn't quite the directive hadn't quite been written yet. Okay, so is that what he's referring to when he says, you know, if there were a guidebook, I'd follow it, but there's nothing. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like uh, the canon being the prime directive was written. Like this is supposed to be the first um, interplanetary mission in the Star Trek uh, uh, world from Earth. Oh, okay. You mean this whole series is, or this episode? This this whole series, this whole series. Okay. Yeah, yeah, there, there's a little bit of backstory, backstory to it, but but it does. I mean, every Prime Directive episode, I feel like always brings up this conversation about culture, and I'm I'm even wondering if there's a little bit of white supremacy baked into the idea of a Prime Directive um, storyline because of the idea that. Any culture you encounter that does not have what you have is therefore substandard to your culture, um, which in, in, I don't know if I don't know if their conversation between T'Pol and Archer, the Vulcan and, and Scott Bakula was meant to do to do this. But when he was talking about how they wouldn't know how to handle this technology, it would be dangerous. Like, I just felt very uh, that's that's very much you know, white evangelicals traveling to um, countries in Africa kind of vibe to it. Yeah, well, the whole meeting up with the Wallachians and the Mank, is that, is that what they were called? Yeah. Um, but... On their planet definitely had that sort of missionary feel to it. They deliberately used a lot of different missionary kind of... Yeah, um, they did, they did. Uh, symbolism and stuff. But... Um, I think it's I think it is a hugely difficult issue in in my field um around the question of um, helping versus self-determination and uh it's come up so many different times and ways in my career and I think 
when I worked in this um, shelter in London, and we had a lot of recent, almost all the, all the residents of the shelter were recent immigrants, recent, recent refugees to London. And um, there were a lot of women from Bangladesh. And one of the caseworkers was from Bangladesh. And she said, you know, that's fine self-determination, but that's not that's not my model for helping people. My model is just being like a helpful auntie. And that's how you should be toward people too, because that's what they need when they're in crisis. So it was kind of this opposite thing from this American model of helping that I'd been taught. And I think like um, she was basically saying just put compassion before everything, before these kind of high-minded notions of self-determination. Yeah. And it was really... It's a tough, tough struggle because it's one thing for her to say that about her own culture. It's another thing for me as a white person to say that about how people in another culture should be treated. But but so this, I mean, and it does still, it goes back to then the question of whether or not providing the cure is the right thing to do or not. If, if, if we don't separate medicine from politics and from culture, not providing the medicine is the same as not providing your culture onto someone else's culture in some ways, right? Maybe not. I don't think that holds for this because they were asking, they were asking for it desperately and all people, a a huge number of people from that culture were asking for it. Got it, uh, right. And okay. I think it's, I think his path was, should have been clear. Yeah. I'm looking for a way out for them, but maybe I'm just feeling vindictive towards, towards conservatives in this country right now. So uh, an issue that came up that you like to talk about in this episode uh, was it, it felt like there was a lot about communication between characters and then also between between characters and between species. And you have mentioned communication before. So in one scene, when he is talking, when Dr. Flox is talking to the um, the crew member who he's interested in or he thinks is interested in her, he specifically talks about his culture. He, he gives that little speech on cultural differences and respecting those cultural differences. So what, what, what do you think about that in terms of at what point do we look at cultural differences and say this is wrong or at what point do we say nothing? I mean, that, that it's not wrong, that it's just a different culture. Like the, the marriage thing is not, not so much when he was talking about that, but when he was talking about the one species oppressing the other on this planet. How far are we willing to go in terms of having a non-judgmental stance toward other cultural views? And I think I think it's super fascinating because you know this is this is being shot in the early two thousands, like yeah, yeah, two thousand two, a little less than twenty years ago. So um, you know there was a lot of talk around that time about marriage equality and most of the campaigns had not been successful by then. And um, and so I thought it was really 
I thought it was a really wise thing to include in this screenplay, you know, like, you know, the, to what, to what degree are you willing to suspend judgment? Is it okay for dudes to have three wives and every wife to have three husbands or it's really fascinating? Um, wasn't this the time it wasn't even, I mean, marriage equality was almost secondary in some political quarters to civil partnerships at that. Like it wasn't even on the radar as much as some other options were. Yeah. Well, here in Maryland, we were still working on anti-discrimination. Um, and I remember what, you know, when we would go into the legislature, um, we would be, you know, like prepped and scolded, like under no circumstances, never, never bring up marriage. <laughs> in any of these conversations because it's going to make you sound like a fringe element, you know, that's, um, that is not going to be listened to when it comes to protecting some basic rights around employment and, um, and housing. So we were still fighting for not being fired or being gay or not losing your job. Or anything. Anyway. Well, um, and, well, and not to come back to it, not to come back to it, but <laughs> I mean, isn't the fight for marriage equality and the fight for anti-discrimination a fight against someone else's identified culture? I mean, don't you have to fight against cultures that are have oppression baked into them? Don't don't we have to fight against cultures that have oppression baked into them? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. But the doctors still made, they still made the wrong decision. <laughs> right. Yeah. The doctor's job is to heal the patient that he's in charge of. Withholding the cure to a disease that they're suffering from is unconscionable. Yeah. Even if they're economic oppressor, they're an economic oppressor group that is destined to evolve right into extinction i mean you're right i just hate that you're right for i mean i always hate when you're right but i also hate um so what did you think personally about the line the heart is nothing but an efficient pump Um, yeah, I thought that was a great sort of distillation of his character and his sort of view as a scientist and this kind of hilarious business about trying to figure out <laughs> human dating life it was, you know, it was entertaining. I, I just, yeah, I don't know. So, I mean, one of the things that I like that, this, that these shows are reminding me of is my belief that while it is often liberals who are accused of being too emotional or being thinking with their heart, their, I mean, bleeding heart liberals, it, it seems like it's always the conservatives who are basing all of their actions on their feelings and claim that they are in the right because passion is on their side. Um, and I really liked the doctor 
pointing out that this concept of feelings being the driving force between what's but between anything i mean in that case between about feelings for another person but really just laying out the human as a nothing more than a biological machine was appealing to me hmm. that says a lot about you what? Um, I, I don't know what to say about that. I think uh, uh, <laughs> you don't have to say anything. That's okay. Yeah, no, he didn't like anyone to talk to him. He he was a rock. He was an yeah, island. He I was know. A rock that, an island. I I love him for that. <laughs> During COVID nineteen, we're coming face to face with our own social Darwinist tendencies which are a century and a half deep, at least, in American culture. Everybody wants to rule the world and decide who lives and dies, and every day we're acting that out, putting elders and other vulnerable groups at risk. In this Enterprise episode, Captain Archer brings his dog to Dr. Flux and is scolded for being too nice to him and giving him human food. This foreshadows their big showdown when Dr. Flux reveals that he's withheld the cure to 50 million Wallachians' genetic disorder. And Captain Archer agrees to go along with the plan in order to let the oppressive Wallachian species go extinct against his compassionate nature. During COVID-19, testing kits, a key to protecting the vulnerable, have been withheld, and compassion from U.S. leaders is in short supply. Compassion is the uniting force in every world religion, and even atheists concede that we've evolved to be more compassionate and collaborative. What about when the object of our compassion is deeply flawed, like the Wallachians? Compassion is our most important and central value as a species, and any step away from it is a mistake. <laughs>